Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. As, uh, as you can see on those, uh, those videos, um, <laughs> failure is an option. Uh, I, I've always, these, if you ever just go on and watch these things, uh, you'll find that it's almost always uh, foreign countries where they're, uh, where they're documenting these failures. And it's, and it's almost like there's a guy. Like, your job is to control the crane. Your job is to control the, the heavy equipment. Your job is to operate the camera in the event that something is going to go wrong. I really, I'm almost afraid that's why they have cameras on me while I'm preaching. They're just waiting for that catastrophic failure so it can be documented and put on a viral YouTube video. Hopefully that doesn't happen today. Um, but failure is an option, and a failure comes in all shapes and sizes. Watching those videos, it's, it really is interesting how fine a margin of error there is between success and failure that in one one day the 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 equipment move could have happened exactly like it was supposed to another day there's a weak link in a chain and suddenly the concrete beam that's designed to hold the road up has landed on the road on the on the dirt underneath it you know when we think about failure we understand that it comes in all all shapes and sizes. I think any of us, if we are honest, can look back over our life and, and find various times in which we have, we have failed uh, miserably. Sometimes failure comes from poor planning. We didn't think through all the, all the contingencies. We didn't think about all the opportunities that, that may, be, uh, may be involved. We didn't cover all the bases. Sometimes failure can be lurking behind unexpected contingencies, something you di- didn't, quite, didn't quite happen like we thought it would. And sometimes we find failure because we just have an interesting bent towards sinning. You know, as we think about Moses, we understand Moses was a phenomenal leader. If you lead in any capacity, Moses is a character that's worthy of your study. But we understand that Moses was not perfect. Uh, he was a great leader, but he was an imperfect leader. He's grown a lot from his stuttering and stammering days there at the burning bush. God has proven himself faithful to Moses. He's listened to his complaints. He's met face to face with Moses. He's conversed with him. However, you can tell that the years of dealing with this obstinate people, maybe maybe just a little, has shortened Moses' fuse. It could be that he's getting close to 120 years old here. That may be why he's getting a little grumpy. But his fuse is a little shorter than it has been. But I think that if you were in his shoes, I think you could understand why his fuse has gotten short. Um, But we also need to understand that he is dealing with some very powerful emotions. And we understand emotions are very powerful forces in our lives. We all deal with them. Some of us struggle with them. But we also understand emotions aren't bad. God has wired us to be emotional beings. God himself is an emotional being. 
Jesus showed us the, the full range of, of human emotions. He even showed us the, those more potent human emotions like, like anger and, and grief. He, he demonstrated those emotions for us, but unlike us, Jesus was able to emote without stumbling into sin. So many of us, we wrestle with that where we, the Bible says, be angry yet sin not, and sometimes we miss the second part of that verse. We just get the be angry part. And we allow our anger to cause us to stumble into sin. If you've got your Bible today, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 20. And as we look at Numbers chapter 20, we're going to see how even the greatest of leaders can allow their emotions to get the best of them. So if you've got your Bible, open the Numbers chapter 20. We'll begin reading in verse 2. If you're able, would you please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's Word? Now, there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them, and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. And then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and he struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank, and their livestock and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Father, I thank you for Moses, for his Example of leadership, Lord, and thank you for that. Uh, we even get to see his failures and learn from those as well. Bless our time in your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I think one of the flaws that we often have in reading the Word is that we don't actually spend time trying to understand the, the thoughts and the, the ideas and the mindset of those who are involved in its stories. And so we read Moses, and, and he almost is portrayed, as, as we think about him, as, as kind, of a, kind of an automaton, as, as someone who is just a, it's just a words on page. There's no character there. But, but as you, you understand that Moses is a real man, and he, as a real man, he wrestles with those, those real human emotions, and we see that Moses is, is at the tail end of, of what had to be an incredibly emotional season as we think about his life. 
These 40 years or so in the wilderness have stretched him to the limit. I mean, going all the way back, you, you have the Israelites and their failure to enter into the promised land. That in and of itself must have been a catastrophic emotional blow to the leader. He has taken two million people from Egypt, marched them through the desert, came right to the front door of their new home, knocked on the door, and couldn't get in. As a, as a leader, you think through the, the cost of, of bringing all of those folks. You know, it, it's hard enough to, to lead a church that's not two million people because when you misstep, there's people who are there to tell you misstep. Just put a typo in the bulletin, and there'll be people telling you, you misspelled. You did this wrong. There are people who are eager to point it out. That's not two million of them, though. Can you imagine the, the, the cries from the congregation when they got to the promised land and the door was locked? Now, to be fair, they locked the door. It wasn't like the Canaanites inside said, sorry, there's no room in the inn. That's not what happened. They locked the door themselves. But, but Moses got them there, and then there was no way to get in because of the lack of faith of the people. But it wasn't Moses' fault. But any good leader is going to feel that burden of that failure. But that, that wasn't the end of the trouble. Now he's got to look forward to 40 years in the wilderness. You have things going on during this time like a, like a massive rebellion led by a guy named Korah. You can go back in the book of Numbers and read that up, read about it. He questions the authority of the leadership. That rebellion alone resulted in 15,000 funerals, just like that. And some of those folks died not from a plague or a disease. They died because the earth opened up and swallowed them whole. That must have been a sight. You imagine being the leader in charge of that group? Guys, we're here. We're going to have to figure out our next steps. And suddenly the earth opens and swallows a contingent of your, of your congregation. Well, that'll get, catch folks' attention. But again, 15,000 people, and, and those weren't the only deaths. Of course, of course, again, this wasn't Moses' fault, but it was still a, a heavy toll. We get to chapter 20. And the reality of this situation hits a little closer to home. As the nation gets closer to completing its wanderings, Moses' very own sister died. And it was becoming very clear to Moses at 120-ish that his retirement plans on the shore of the Sea of Galilee were slipping away from him. Emotionally taxing, exhausting. And here we are again. You would think these people would have learned by now, and we are quick to throw stones at the Israelites, but we're just like them. We, we repeat the same patterns, and here we are again. We would think there's thirst at the camp. You would think that they would say, I know who's going to take care of this, but they don't. And instead, they have a little get-together, a little powwow. They all gather up. They were told that they form an assembly, and they come to Moses, and they say, Moses, we're... We're thirsty. We're thirsty. There's no water in this place. This God-forsaken place that you've led us, this evil place, there's no water, Moses. Can you fix it? Don't forget that on the very day that these people complain about their thirst 
every single one of them had stepped out of their tent first thing that morning, and there on the ground was all the manna they could handle. Right there, right in front of them. And every single one of them who planned to eat that day, who also complained about their thirst, had themselves benefited from God's gracious provision of manna. Surely this God who provided for their daily bread could also be trusted to provide for their water. So put yourself in Moses' shoes. <laughs> you people have turned this three-hour tour into a 40-year shipwreck. You have buried an entire nation of people. I have just buried my sister, and you've got the nerve to complain to me about water? I could see that emotion, couldn't you? I could feel that, that rage boiling up inside of him. Yet even in the midst of his emotions, Moses knows that he couldn't do anything about the problem. He'd have a water truck following him around. There was no options for him. It wasn't like there was a, a water tower in Canaan that they could go hook up to. So he did the only thing he knew to do about the problem. He went to the Lord. He did the same thing he's been doing the whole trip. Again, not the first time that he came out of his tent facing a nation full of frustration. But this time the frustration's different. This time the frustration's gotten the best of him. And for a moment, we see an image of the old Moses come out. You remember the old Moses, the one who was the prince in Egypt? He saw his people being mistreated, and in anger, in rage, he went after that Egyptian who mistreated the Israelite. He killed him and buried him in the sand, and that was the first step of his journey away from Egypt and his journey to become the leader that he is. He, he acted out of his rage took matters into his own hands instead of trusting God's call, instead of trusting God's timing, he acted out of his rage, responding to his own emotions. And so God gives Moses the solution for the water shortage. You know, God always has a solution in mind. He's always got a plan in mind. It may not be the solution we're working for, but God is never caught off guard by our problems, whether they are real or perceived. We don't, we don't bring our problems to the Lord. Moses didn't bring his problems to the Lord, and God said, I had no idea y'all were thirsty. You don't get that from the Lord. The Lord knew they were thirsty. The Lord created them. He knew their need for water. He knew the need was there. And the solution was very simple. What's the solution? Moses, just speak. No dramatic crossing of the Red Sea. No, no, none of that drum, dramatic sort of miraculous thing. This was a simple one. This was just Moses, you and Aaron, take the staff, go stand in front of the people of Israel, and when you stand there in front of the rock, just speak. A simple plan, really. Just speak. Moses could have stood up in front of the nation and simply said this to the people, God knows your thirst. And by the power of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, may this rock bring forth water. And you know what would have happened when those words came out of Moses' mouth. The rock would have split open and water would have gushed forth that would have watered the nation of Israel a hundred times over. 
It's all it would have taken. But what does Moses do? Instead, we get these words. <laughs> Hear now, you rebels! Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and he struck the rock with his staff. That's not exactly what God said to do. And what should have been a beautiful example of God's faithful provision turned into a very painful display of emotion from a very angry leader. And instead of doing what God said, Moses let his frustration get the best of him, which resulted in failure. The nation got its water, but it cost Moses dearly. You know, why was this mistake seen as so serious to the Lord? It wasn't like he killed somebody. I mean, he just took his frustration out on a rock. He didn't take his frustration out on Aaron. He didn't beat Aaron twice with a staff and say, produce water. Why was this so serious? Well, we're told here that God looks at this, this offense from Moses because Moses' response is, is a crisis of unbelief. And we're told that he did not regard the Lord as holy before the nation. Moses, you see, could have given glory to God for the provision of water, but instead he attempts to take the credit for himself with a physical display. You, you heard him say this. He says, he says Can I, I'll bring forth water. We'll bring forth water. And instead of giving glory to God, Moses takes the credit for himself. It wasn't that he just bent the rules. It was the heart that was associated with bending those rules. And guess what? God saw right through the charade. There's no hiding his motives. There's no hiding his heart. Here's the thing. We can identify with Moses in this, in this area because, because guess what? If you haven't yet, if you haven't lately, it's almost guaranteed to be right around the corner. We are going to experience frustration and failure in our lives. We're going to experience it. Things not going the way that we want them to. Things not happening when we want them to happen. And responding to that frustration, we are going to experience seasons of frustration and seasons of failures in our life. And we are going to have emotional responses to those seasons in our life. There's nothing wrong with our emotional response to those things. But God, as his people, he is interested in how we respond to those failures and those frustrations. And while we cannot and we should not suppress our emotions, we must not give our emotions the last word. You see, before we ever respond out of anger, we must first respond out of faith. How do we respond to those, those failures and frustrations in our life in a way that God gets the glory? Moses was frustrated. There's no denying his frustration. There's no minimizing his frustration. I can't imagine leading that group of people as ornery as they were. 
They defined ornery. It wasn't a word until Israel came into existence. I can't imagine the, the headache and the heartache and the, the sleepless nights that the man had to experience. But in all those things, he was to respond in the way that God would get the glory. And we have those same things in our lives where, where we are dealing with a, a whole day-to-day -day full of frustration. But God's expectation of us is the same. How do we respond in a way that God gets the glory? How do we respond in a way that points people to the Lord Jesus? Our natural response is to respond in a way that vindicates our emotions. You want to test this out? Let's go out on the interstate. You drive, and let me give you some instructions. First of all, drive really, really slow on the interstate. And see what, just get over in that left-hand lane, and instead of going 80 like everybody else, just back off that accelerator to about 60 to 65. And see what happens. You'll learn all kinds of new things about yourself. People will teach you new sign language. And it's easy to respond in a way that vindicates your emotions. I was wronged. Did you see what they did? Did you see how they, how they, how they waved to me? Did you see that? And we respond out of that emotion. How do we respond in a way that points people to Jesus so that God gets the glory? When we fire back at someone in anger, we might feel better in the moment, but what have we really, truly accomplished? Responding to our frustrations by faith means that we confront our temptation to unbelief and doubts. You know, as we think about the Bible, the Bible says a lot to us about how we're to bring those emotions under control. One of the best passages that challenges this is Proverbs 29, 11. Proverbs 29, 11 simply says this. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man holds it back. I can't think of a better passage to challenge our natural response. Our natural response is to let it all go. Let our anger overflow. But that's a foolish man's response. A wise man's response checks it. Let me, let me balance that. Let me deal with my anger and sin not. Let me hold it back. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, Paul stresses the importance of taking every thought captive to obey Christ. You see, before our emotions ever result in actions, before our anger ever expresses itself with words or with actions, that anger and those, those negative emotions get circulated in our brains and in our hearts. And it takes, us, it takes us a little bit to get it out. And so we have the opportunity to check it before it ever results in action, before it ever results in crosswords. We have the opportunity to bring it captive to Christ. We have the opportunity to close the vent, as Proverbs says. And it's there in our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit exercising that fruit of the Spirit, self-control, that we seek to gain control 
of those emotions that are so powerful. I, I think we can all identify times in our life when failures and frustrations have gotten the best of us, when the challenges of our lives lead to frustrations and failures. And maybe like Moses, I know I can identify with this, you've taken your fair share of cheap shots at the rock. It could be that you might just feel like you've messed up so much that you're beyond help. But I'd like to point out the simple fact, listen, this is so, so powerful, there is grace lurking around all our mistakes. It's an incredible thing that happens here. There is grace that is lurking around all of our failures. Moses strikes the rock, what happens? Water. Water. It's clear Moses didn't do what he was told. He didn't speak to the rock. He hit the rock. He took credit. But God still granted water. That's grace. Moses was disobedient. If the people were counting on their leader here, he failed. And they're thirsty. But God showed grace by bringing water out of that rock. But perhaps an even greater demonstration of grace, God's punishment to Moses is clear. You won't lead these people into the promised land. What a catastrophic judgment. Gave his whole life, literally, to these people. And because of two swings of a stick, God said, you won't lead the people to the promised land. Is that fair? Absolutely. It's fair. God's judgments are always fair. He could have struck Moses dead right there. But he doesn't. You go to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, and you run across these words from Deuteronomy 34. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land. Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, all the land of Ephraim, Manasseh, the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Negev, and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. That's grace. He got to see it. He got to go to the top of a high mountain and see the land that God had promised. And so Moses, before he dies, is able to see that God is faithful, keeps his promise, keeps his word, and shows him grace, even in the midst of his failures.
Maybe you're here today. And you look at your life and you say, I got more failures than I can count. I'd like to encourage you today that look around those failures and see if you can find traces of grace lurking there, hiding, just waiting to be discovered. I know as I think back over my life, I look at the I look at the frustrations that led to failures, and I can still look back and I can see the hand of God's grace working and teaching and instructing me and showing me that God is faithful over and over and over again. Grace lurks around all of our failures, all of our mistakes. Likewise, I'd like to encourage us today that maybe you're here and you're looking at your life right now and you're thinking, Man, it is nothing but a giant failure right now. You're responding out of emotions and things that, that you feel are beyond your control. But before those emotions ever turn into actions, they begin as thoughts and feelings. And God the Holy Spirit wants to help you have control over those thoughts and those feelings. Maybe it's just as simple as Moses' response to the criticism here. The whole nation's gathered against him. What's he do? He falls on his face before the Lord. The difference, you can listen to what the Lord says. Do what the Lord says. Pay attention to his instruction and find God's blessing in your obedience. Would you pray with me, please? God, I thank you for the, the man Moses, for his triumphs. But Lord, I thank you also for his failures. God, we acknowledge today that we are men and women of clay feet who are prone to our own set of frustrations and failures. We give way to our emotions. We act out in anger. And Lord, I, I, I just pray that our, our thoughts going forward would be instead of giving rise to the the feelings that are so powerful inside, how do we bring those things captive? And how do we respond in a way that points people to you? God, I thank you that you've made us emotional beings, that, that it's, not just, it's not just boring, one-dimensional God, that we have highs and lows, we experience great happiness, and we know the pain of great sorrow. But God, regardless of what high or low we're on, May we always respond in a way that points people back to you. In the middle of our greatest excitement, would we give glory to you? And in the pit of our greatest despair, would we trust in you? And would people look at us, regardless of our situation in life, and recognize that you are good and that you are faithful and that you love your children? God, I pray if there's any here today that maybe in the midst of some of their worst failures, they just don't see how you can move and act and work. And I pray that in these next few moments, God, that they would see grace lurking around all their mistakes, ready to be taken hold of. God, would you move in our hearts now as we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. 
We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.